we are joined by Bitcoin Magazine's resident boomer and the man who actually orange-filled his kids, not the other way around, Mark Mariah. Mark, how you doing? Hey, Q. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. It's always great getting to connect and chat with you. Uh, as we mentioned, you are sort of the elder statesman here. I'm going to keep rubbing it in a little bit. So absolutely, uh, feel feel free to tell me to go. Uh, F no, you're spot on. Point. I feel like an old timer. <laughs> well, I still think I'm your bit. age, but I know I'm not because you guys keep reminding me. <laughs> I guess that's why we get along because I think I'm your age. So there we go, an way. old soul. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so. Mark, I want to talk to you a little bit about like what goes on in the boomer world in regards to Bitcoin. I guess your generation, I like to blame for essentially causing 99% of the problems that my generation has to deal with. Um, and I'll just start in a, in a very easy place. The banks, they take advantage of us. The fees that I have to pay sometimes are absolutely bonkers and insane. Just the other day, I went to go deposit a check and they told me that the money won't show up in my account for 24 hours. It's as though, I don't know, some software that will confirm transactions every 10 minutes would be far more efficient than the current banking system. But talk to me a little bit about how your generation got involved in banking, how you were convinced to get involved in the current banking system. Yeah. I mean, I think I said this when I did the podcast with Casey that I was a banking lawyer, but it's interesting. There's there's a group of boomers. Most of them actually don't trust cryptocurrencies. But I think, you know, as much as we want to blame it on boomers, remember, we didn't really design the system. We inherited it. We stewarded it really crappy. Right. And, and so but I think the real problem is that the banking system is so much worse and more unfair than people realize. That's part A to the problem of why boomers and other people don't get it. And then part B, Bitcoin's 200 times better than any human being could even conceive of. So those two create a huge delta. If this is neutral and you got 200 standard deviations with Bitcoin and you got 200 standard deviations with the dollar, you got a problem. So we talked originally about talking about the fact that the money in your bank ain't yours, which I think is a really good illustration. And you kind of, sounds like you experienced it uh, when you went to deposit a check and you want to be able to access those funds immediately. Um, What I find with boomers is they're, some of them are so terrified of it and and it doesn't really make any sense other than it's like a blanket that you've given to a a three-month-old or a three-year-old and they don't want to let go of it because it doesn't make sense. I actually have a friend who hates using the word fiat. Go figure. What what is the reasoning for that? He didn't have one and I didn't press. (laughs) And I'm I'm assuming though he he is saying like, I I don't care for this word from the lens of like, I align with this ideology. Correct. I mean, he's in the mortgage. He's a mortgage. He's in the mortgage um, business. So he's, he's helping people get loans and buy houses. So he's as tied to the people at the money printer as you're going to get. So it makes a certain amount of sense. What is, what's interesting though, he's coming around. Uh, because when I first had that conversation with him, which was probably six months ago, a lot has happened, as you know, we all know, and he's seeing it just as clearly as everyone else. But I think what I find with boomers is that most of them, what I'll usually say to them, particularly if they're affluent, yeah, you probably don't need Bitcoin. And, and I say that not really because it's true, 
But because if you tell someone they should do something, the normal human reaction is, the heck with you. I'll, you know, I'll prove you wrong. So it's, you know. Well, let's unpack that because I know that you, you and I have talked about the fact that like you have orange pilled your kids. Right. And that's not like the first time we've heard that. When Jack Mahlers was on this show, he even admit that it was his right. father. His dad. Who got him into Bitcoin as well. And thank right. you, Mr. Mahlers, for that. No kidding. Talk to us though. Like, look, if my dad tells me to do something. At a certain point in my life, it was, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I think now I've, I've understood the rhyme or reason to most of what he tells me. Um, what was that conversation like with your kids? Yeah, my, they'll probably kill me. It was actually pretty good. And you're absolutely right, Q. Most people, myself included, right? If my parents wanted me to do it, well, I would, opposite, I would do the opposite just to make the point. Um, the way I had that conversation, my daughter had started a business. She actually had started a flower shop in 2019. She's, by the way, I hope you get to meet her. She's coming to Bitcoin 2022, she and her partner. Uh, I really want to meet uh, you and, and the rest of the team. This will be awesome, Chris and Alex. Uh, but when I sat down with her and I have a, in my basement, I have literally 30 feet of like whiteboard. And I said, Jen, here's the situation. We sold your grandparents' house in Florida We've got some money. And I kind of did some math using the Michael Saylor K-graph of how much money was losing its purchasing power. Literally, I wrote it out on the board and I said, so in three years, this number is now going to be worth quite a bit less. I said, and if instead we put something into Bitcoin and we assume conservatively, I mean, it's been doing 150% or more a year, but let's just assume it only, I think I did 50%. It only does 50%. Here's what we have. And so she, it was interesting during the meeting, she said to me, well, you know, I don't really know how to, you know, set up an account. And my daughter is so tech savvy that that sounded like a horrible reason and before the next hour of the meeting was done, because it wasn't just to talk about Bitcoin, she's like, she reports to me, uh, dad, I opened an account and I bought, you know, $2,000 worth of Bitcoin or whatever she bought. I forget what she bought. But this is in November of, you know, 2020. So it was very much clear to people that we were on a money printing rampage and she understood it pretty quickly. So she actually did it the, the first moment I suggested it. Now, the irony is I didn't actually want her to buy Bitcoin. I wanted her opinion of whether or not I should take these funds that were sitting in the bank and put them in Bitcoin. So it's like, well, what about me, right? What about me? But it was really, it was cute. And then my son came in the same meeting a little bit later. He did the same thing. So it was pretty, it was relatively easy. On matters of money, both of them are pretty savvy. I don't think I could have convinced them if they didn't see the value of it. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you know trying to convince your friends and people, right. your peers, essentially, yeah. the value of it. Many people your age have sort of benefited from the fiat system. They don't see Big a time. rhyme or reason to change the way they they handle things. Uh, why why should they? Well, you know we we know the unfairness of the system. I actually think that recent events in Canada have made more of them very aware. I think the events of what's going on with the US dollar or the US government, essentially taking, cutting the, the feet out on, from underneath the Russian, uh, Russian ruble and the Russian people. I think these are getting people's attention. I think inflation's getting their attention. Um, what I find with at least my peer group is 
rather than try and convince them of it, I literally will say, hey, you know, I'll find a reason. I've got a friend. I've got a birthday. I'll give, I'll say, download, in my case, a moon wallet. I want to give you some Bitcoin for your birthday. So literally they download it and I send them the Bitcoin so fast, contrary to your, you know, we were, I don't know if we're talking about four or not, you couldn't get your check cleared. They were blown away by how easy and quickly they just did a transaction in Bitcoin. So forget all the theory. Do I know how this computer works right now? Have absolutely no clue. Do I have any idea how my phone works? I have absolutely no clue. I'm not even a very tech-oriented person, right? I know enough to be able to figure out how to do you know, podcasts. But the reality is, and that's true with a lot of boomers, literally there are some boomers, they literally, they barely know how to turn on a computer. So when you've got someone with that little sophistication, but they know how to use their phone, you cut through all that silliness. And what I do is I'm trying to get as many people off zero as I can. And I don't care if they have 10 Satoshis, once they actually have the ability to transact in it, if some proverbial you, you know what hits the fan, I want literally everybody around me to be able to know how to get on the lifeboat, even if they don't really understand that there's a 20, 21 million, um, you know, supply hard cap, uh, that there's, you know, every 10 minutes, you know, it verifies the transactions going all the way back to the, the literally the, the Genesis block in January of 2009. They don't need to understand all that to be able to transact. And I find with most of the friends that I've done this with, it's been very persuasive. And more often than not, they're like, okay, can you now show me how to buy some Bitcoin? Because you can't do that very, very, uh, that I know of, at least on the, with the moon wallet. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I know when we were at the All Hands in January, when Bitcoin Magazine all meet up and we got to see each other in, in meet space, as we call it, uh, yeah. we were at a restaurant, Mark and I were sitting next to each other and the two bartenders were right. um, asking like, oh, what's Bitcoin? They, they had heard of it, but they didn't really know what it was. And we did that exact experiment. I'm trying to get it down to, I can do it in less than two minutes with download time and everything. Like download Moon Wallet, M-U-U-N. They download it. They open it up, a lightning channel. I have something on my wallet and I send it to them. I'm trying to get that down quicker and quicker. I was actually trying to orange pill a friend of a friend kind of thing. We were, we were together. Yep. Yep. And um, I believe it was for the Super Bowl. But anyway, I was talking to him. And of course, when I go to do it, I had him download a moon wallet. There was like, it said transaction in pending progress or something like that. I was like, of course, it's not working it's, right now. Well, of course, it's the Super Bowl. You got yeah, like 3 million people doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what I said. I was like, oh, the Lightning Network's like bogged down. There's a lot of crypto commercials or Bitcoin commercials going on. That's why it's taken a while. So I kept talking to him because he wanted to learn more. And by the, like, after two minutes more, he looks down at his phone and he had already received it. So instead of being two minutes, it took four minutes, which is still pretty incredible when a bear asset. I think a thing that's interesting though, uh, that you mentioned was that like, it's a lifeboat. You're trying to get everyone on. I heard this argument on a podcast. I forget which one, but they're saying that like, is there a possibility that there's not enough lifeboats for people to get on? And that's something that I had never thought about. Like, oh, Bitcoin, we know there's a 21 million supply cap. But like realistically, the amount that are lost, the amount that can only be sold, the amount that are remaining supply, are there enough lifeboats for everyone to get on? And it's something I had never thought because I do have Bitcoin myself. Go ahead, Mark, if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I thought a lot about that, Q. I'd like to get your thoughts too. But to me, there's 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis. So, you know, immediately, yeah, there is always the possibility that, you know, the price is going to run on us. 
as it becomes the only functioning monetary system in the world, I would argue that it right now is the only fully functioning, uncensorable monetary system on planet Earth right now. Right? In other words, you nor myself nor Q can go somewhere and say, okay, shut it down. It cannot be done. There's literally not another monetary system in the world like that. So, you know, that's, that might happen, but to me, that's like step 17. I'm still trying to get people on step one. Q. Yes and no. Yes, yes and you no. can't shut down Bitcoin. Okay. But no, you can shut down access points of Bitcoin. Absolutely. You can shut down, like, you want to get real aggressive and like what World War III is really going to look like, it's going to be shutting down your internet access, shutting down your access to energy. And if you don't have energy and you don't have internet, you don't have Bitcoin. Regardless I got bigger of, problems at that point as well. Absolutely. But, that's yeah, always yeah, yeah. that's always the first thing that anyone's like, well, what happens when the, the internet gets shut down? I'm like, right, right. And how much cash do you really have under your bed? Like we use credit cards 99% of the time anyway. Well, and that's, that's one of the stories I wanted to share with you. So I have another friend who's a boomer. April of 2020, you know, the, our theme was going to be, hey, look, the, the money in your bank ain't yours. And she learned this lesson two years ago. I was talking to her recently. She says, I went to the bank, said, look, I'd like to get out $2,000. And they're like, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh, we can only give you 200. And she's like speechless. Then she's like apoplectic. She's pissed. And she's like, I cannot believe it. It's like, and that's what she learned. Look, it's not your money. As we all know, as Bitcoiners, what we learn is if you have Bitcoin on an exchange, you don't have Bitcoin, you have an IOU for Bitcoin. But what most Americans don't know, most boomers don't know, but all of us don't know is the dollars in your bank are an IOU. They are not yours if you, and legally they're not even yours. So the way they handle it on the balance sheet, not to get too technical, they're, they're listing it as an asset on their balance sheet. And it's a liability to, to, their liability is to us, but it's an IOU. And so she learned that she couldn't take out the amount of money that she wanted as a cushion in what would ar- I would argue is a pretty, very, very uncertain time, certainly April of 2020. And she eventually closed that bank and found another one. I think it was a credit union, which by the way, for those of you who do want to hold money in the banking system, you're way better off with a credit union than you are with usually the big banks for a whole bunch of reasons I won't bore you with, but. Um. Just remember, this is advice coming from someone who is very much in tune with the banking system. So uh, I would not be ignoring some of this. Well, I'm, I'm in tune with it, but I will also, full disclosure, the, 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 the funny part of my whole Bitcoin journey was I, didn't, I have not trusted the banking system since 2008 because it was very obvious to me the system was on the verge of, of collapsing and all they did was save essentially the first class passengers on the boat right? Using a Titanic metaphor. And that just strikes me. I and mean, even if I might be considered by some, because I work with lawyers a lot to be sort of in that category, that strikes me as so fundamentally unfair that I, I understand the banking system. And as I said to you earlier, it's 200 times worse than anyone thinks. But understanding and knowing what your what the banking system is like, I think is almost required for everybody in the world anymore. 
It's and as bad as the United States is, if you listen, I had an interview with Ray Youssef. I'm hoping to do an article for Bitcoin Magazine coming out before the conference. He's going to speak at the conference, but he says that there are two thousand different payment systems in Africa, and only three percent of them talk to each other. So when you get and he calls it financial apartheid. Well, financial apartheid in Africa is way worse than the United States. But make no mistake about it, there's financial apartheid in the United States just as much as there is Africa. It just isn't as, as, as extreme. And in Canada, back to your point, Q or Chris, I forget who you were mentioning. To me, watching what they did in Canada, mere money is not safe. If the government, I think Q, you said it, whether it's shut down the energy grid, whether it's shut down your access to the internet, one way or the other, if they want to control you, they can control you. And it's really the reason why I feel strongly, as do I think most Bitcoiners, we need to separate money from state control because they've proven to us they, they can't be trusted. And they're giving us literally daily news now since February, reinforcing that point. So we don't sound like a bunch of crazy Bitcoiners. They're like, you know, the rest of the world, including my friends are going, yeah, that is a little weird. They're not as alarmed yet as we are but they haven't thought about the implications. My fellow plebs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone, whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. You want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Totally. So, I mean, look, to, to actually go back and give you my response to, to what Chris was presenting earlier, I, I believe the number is somewhere around 250,000 Satoshis if it was evenly distributed across 8 billion people in the world. I don't think that's realistic. I don't think everyone in the world will have Bitcoin. It'll never be that way. Yeah. What I do think is more likely, and, and this may this may not sit well with many people, we actually are watching, and I, I'm not going to try to say exactly, but there's an announcement from Tether saying that they are about to, or they have purchased something, something to the tune of 8 million, I believe it was, million dollars worth of Bitcoin to hold on reserve. I think scenarios like that, where you have stable coins having some sort of Bitcoin backing, or what I think is more realistic is stable coins actually built, being built on top of Lightning. And you have new chains introduced where US dollar coin backed by Bitcoin, Euro coin backed by Bitcoin. I think that is a much more realistic endeavor. Uh, you, you ultimately return to a degree to a fiat standard. Uh, by doing something like that. And I think that's where I think people become uneasy hearing something like that. Yeah. But I think that is a much 
simpler way to democratize the distribution of Bitcoin. I, I would agree with that. And I have wondered, even since as early as November of 2020, why there weren't more companies trying to essentially use a stable coin in, in making sure you have enough Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin's very volatile, but it's volatile to the, to the upside. The beauty of the stable coin is it's very stable. So if the person wants to hold their assets in stable coins, they're much more familiar with that. The, the problem with causing radical behavior change is that people get really, really nervous. And as soon as they get really nervous and fearful, you know, we've been living in two years worth of nonstop fear. They're, they're going to run away from it pathologically. So I think your idea is a great one, Q. And I, you know, I, I don't know enough about Tether, right? The only, really the only coin I know about is Bitcoin. I know about Tether only from what I read. I haven't studied it. But to me, that makes business sense. Because there's another thing that we haven't talked about, Bitcoin, that doesn't get enough press. It is the world's most pristine collateral on planet Earth. Now, I say that as a former banking lawyer who used to do work for the bank where they would take, they would give a loan and then they'd have a security interest in, in property to guarantee that they would have something to collect against if the person who gave them they, they loaned the money to, didn't pay them. They could repossess it. Well, Bitcoin is the world's most pristine collateral. And I don't think the world has figured that out. I also, so I, I think your, your idea is a really good one. I think eventually most stable coins, one way or the other, are going to want to have Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And to me, that's a smart business move that I don't care if you like the alternate coins or not. That's just a really smart business move. And, and that, was, that was the other thing. So the money's not yours. Michael Saylor found that out the hard way when his, when his company, MicroStrategy, this is before Bitcoin. Um, you probably know the story, right? He actually had a million dollars in Argentina. And because he was a U.S. company, he was able to hold it a U.S. bank in U.S. dollars. Then all of a sudden, they closed the bank. Two days later, they reopened and they converted all of those U.S. dollar held accounts into pesos and whoosh, his, his buying power just dropped by 90% almost overnight. That is a corporate entity that found that out many years before Bitcoin, I think, was, even, um, was actually even invented. Those kinds of stories, you can find them all over the place. That's why I say it's the banking system is 200 times worse than most of us realize and if we just did a little bit of research, we, we'd start to understand what that means to, uh, to us as, uh, as citizens. Yeah, uh, Mark, I think those are great points. And especially when you've got likes of Michael Saylor and Fidelity now saying Bitcoin is pristine collateral. It's not just you, me, and Q just like doing a little powwow saying it. It's like these are you know, big financial institutions that carry a lot of weight in the markets. You know, If I'm on the street corner yelling to buy Bitcoin, I'm just the crazy guy in the room that works for Bitcoin Magazine. Um, I think it's also another great point too that like Sailor was was burned in the Argentina story and it's a great story and I understand that. I know he's technically fighting, I, I won't say he's fighting regulators, but he's trying to change the gap, uh, gap accounting, gap accounting rules. rules. Yep. So uh, not, not to bore people with the details, but the long story short is 
that when Bitcoin's on MicroStrategy's balance sheet, if Bitcoin goes below the average of when they buy it, they have to write it off as a loss on their balance sheet. And that obviously affects- No, on their income statement. On their income statement. They have to write down the the dip in value and they have to to write it off on their income statement. Yes. Yes. Thank you for correcting me. They have to write it down on their income statement. But on the other side, if it rips in price, they don't get to have the price appreciation, unfortunately. It's just written down to that new value. Exactly. All negative- no positive. Hey, but I'm sure the the this financial system is very being trying to be very fair to, uh, you know, to Bitcoin. And that is one that I think, you know, there's a lot of things that once they change, they'll make a difference in Bitcoin. That's one. Uh, you'll see a lot more corporations putting on their balance sheet. I held along with my co-authors, uh, uh, Colin Crossman and Heidi Porter. We've written some articles for essentially small and medium-sized businesses. And in there, we're trying to explain to them sort of why small and medium size companies ought to have it on their balance sheet. And they don't have to worry about the same public company rules that you just mentioned, Chris. You know, there's obviously a lot of reasons that we can see. We're, we're obviously in this a lot. Um, but there are some structural changes that need to happen, including even though if people hate ETFs, putting an ETF that's a spot ETF out into the world is going to dramatically change um, how much cal- capital is allocated by institutions. There's, there's, so there's a bunch of changes that are coming. Meanwhile, we have to use these rickety old, so I think of it as sort of these rickety old, think of it as railroad tracks that are you know, made from wood. They're not even made from metal, you know, and they're, they're fraying. They're not working very well. They certainly don't work fairly for everybody like Bitcoin does. And I think more and more people one at a time are starting to realize that, their confidence in how they've constructed or perceived the world isn't what they thought. And the banking system in particular happens to be one that gets very personal very fast and you can't get access to your money. Yeah. And and to, to your point as well, the, you know, as of right now, Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy don't hold their own keys. They use a custodial through Coinbase. And uh, along with the regulations that we're talking about, uh, another thing that's holding him back that I found out uh, just looking at MicroStrategy's balance sheet and how it's structured and stuff, there's a line in there for, I guess, digital assets or cryptocurrencies. Basically, they have to have a way to audit the supply and it can't right. be in their own wallet. It has to be through, because like there's some legal reason that a custodial needs to have it to verify it. So in theory, every quarter, like MicroStrategy might have to move billion or 4.1 billion or whatever the worth of it is right now into Coinbase and then move it back into their, what, seven of 10? Into their multi-sig? Into yeah, their multi-sig. Well, so I know part of it was that that right now, the standards require that it be audited every quarter before they do it to make sure that's actually there. And I think that's part of the other thing that my, I mean, Michael Seller hasn't moved it out into a, a, like a self-hosted multi-sig with him and his shareholders or whatever it may be, uh, if you want to expand on that. Well, you know, I haven't, I hadn't heard that. And, and, and I'm immediately thinking about if they had to do that every quarter, it would be a lot easier to figure out the address for the MicroStrategy stack if they were doing it that way. So I, I, I cannot really comment one way or the other. I do know about custodians. Again, I was both a securities lawyer at one point in my life where almost everything is held. If you own stock, it's rare anymore you actually hold the physical certificate. Used to be very common, but, but no more. And so the custodians own it. And this is a story again so again, I don't know about specifically MicroStrategy and being able to put it in there, 
What I love about Bitcoin is it is going to create a level of transparency in the banking system or in the financial system, not in our banking system, like Kraken just did proof of reserves. And I think that is a really, really valuable uh, thing to be able to do. And literally, there's nothing in the U.S. banking system that can do that, nor will there ever be a CBDC that allows us to do that either. I, I think of CBDCs, I call them surveillance coins. They're, I, I, it's, it's astonishing to me that anybody in America wants to even consider them. But I do understand when you start giving out money with no strings or seemingly no strings, people get attracted to it real quickly. Q, so. if there's anything you want to add, hop in here. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fascinating that we are at this weird culmination point. We have to break what we have thought and been taught over the years. We have a generation who you're not, your generation to put it frankly, is not incentivized to see this switch. If anything, you you're correct. Stand to lose more from watching this switch happen while you guys are a part of this system beyond obviously the idea or notion that like we're doing this to, to make the world better for our kids or our grandkids and so on. Um, what are other things that can or do motivate boomers that you have in conversations with them found? You know, what's interesting. What I look for is curiosity, Q. So, and, and I've got a bunch of friends. It's like, Anything I send them, they read. And I can bury them with a lot of information if I want to. I tend not. Um, they, ha they have to, you use the phrase, I don't know if you knew it or not. You use the phrase that's relevant. You have to unlearn your old ideas about money. You have to unlearn your old ideas about the banking system. And I don't want to, we've already dumped enough probably in the last two years on our, on our education system but there's literally nothing in our educational system that teaches people about money, that teaches people about the banking system, that teaches them how it works. And so what you'll find more often than not is that like my friend um, who went to the bank in April of 2020 and wanted to get out 2000 in cash and can only get 200, those are the people, it doesn't matter how old they are, they're very open to hearing what you have to say. And I will usually try to make it sound, look, in fact, one of the things I actually make a point of doing when they download the Moon Wallet and I send them some Bitcoin is I'll say, welcome to the peaceful revolution. Because it really is a revolutionary way of holding value. And, and again, remember, Bitcoin isn't just a value transfer network. It's an energy transfer network. And I think Michael Saylor does the best job of explaining it. And whether you agree with him or not, that there's something called monetary energy, I, I find that at least my peers, some of them who are engineers, I can actually talk sort of Michael Saylor language and they get it. But it's a constant experiment because if from, for the most part, if they already own their own home, they have two or three rentals, they're not necessarily hugely motivated. But ironically enough, Q, one of my neighbors is in exactly that situation. And I actually convinced her in the early days of Bitcoin, I was trying to convince people. I've stopped trying to convince anybody. All right. I, I want them on the lifeboat, but I'm not going to try 
try and convince you. I don't need to do that. It's not important. But her back then, I was trying to convince her. And one of the things I said to her is, all right, well, I just funded. I have an HOA. I actually have three HOAs, sadly, because of where I sit. All right. They add up to like 500 bucks a month. And then I have taxes. And I said to her, hey, I just funded my taxes you know, up front by buying Bitcoin. It'll probably cover me for the next three years. And her eyes got big as saucers because if you assume the growth rate on Bitcoin is going to be what, it, what it's been you know, over the last 10 years, there's a really, really good chance that I'm holding the purchasing power of paying for my HOA dues and my taxes by holding Bitcoin. It's essentially putting Bitcoin in your balance sheet. You just don't, you don't say it that way, right? You'd say that to a business person. You wouldn't necessarily say that to a real estate uh, person who actually owns not just the one property where I live, but also a property, um, you know, two or three other properties within, you know, 10 miles of here. So it's, every person's different. And what I'm looking for, as I said, is I'm looking for curiosity or in some cases, disgust with the current system. And there's actually a lot of people who have a lot of disgust with the current system. I know and those are my two kind of uh, approaches, really. Uh, and I would think same thing with you guys, right, Chris? I, I would agree. Uh, they sound like very revolutionary ideas. And with revolutionary ideas, there's revolutionary doctrines. I know that you've kind of been the one to Chris, I think you froze for a moment. He broke up. I think he was going to go into it, and I'm glad he did. Do it. Do yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yes. Yeah, so uh, back in June of last year, I wrote a first draft uh, of something I, we, we now call the Declaration of Monetary Independence. And Bitcoin Magazine, some of uh, the co-authors and I wrote this thing last summer. We had it published in October, October 31st of last year, very intentionally. And Chris, I think you were going to say, we are having as an experience at Bitcoin 2022, a nine foot by 12 foot version of the Declaration of Monetary Independence. And any people who are attending this year's conference in Miami are invited to come and sign it. And there's gonna be like four or five feet of blank space, 12 feet long for people to sign. So. I'm hoping we can get Bukele or Lummis, some very well-known people to sign it, but I don't care. The, the name of the game is how many thousands of signatures can we get on this thing? Because I think at least in our view, it's probably the most important gathering of people in Miami from April 6th to April 9th since 1776. That's how important at least I perceive it and I think a fair number of people for all the reasons I think Chris was going to start was going to say, which is we need to we need to separate money from state control, or we're going to continue to have these problems. Is that where you were going with that, Chris? Yeah, my MacBook just happened to reset right when I did that. Perfect. So, yeah. Well, it's okay because I just explained to people we're doing the nine by twelve, and I don't know if you guys can see it. It's in it's sitting there. There's two versions actually. One on under my Villanova thing is the actual replica. It's a two by three foot version of the declaration that those of people who come to the conference can buy their own version of it. And in fact, if there's a way to do it easily and you want one lucky listener to get a copy, I'll mail it to them if you, we, I need their address, but happy to give one away. 
but those are going to be actually for sale in the, the Bitcoin conference store for those people who want a memento. And it's obviously very unusual. When's the last time you attended a conference where you actually signed something that had some kind of historical significance, particularly given what's happened in Canada and what's happening right now on the global scene between the United States and Russia. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm super stoked about that. Yeah, I, I brought it up and I'm dropping them in the chat now. Q, if you have anything else you want to add while I do that. For sure. I want to get, I want to figure out if we can figure a time, maybe before the conference starts, where we can get all the folks from BTC Media to actually come sign it, you know, make it a bit of a, an event for people that want to come to it. But it's, I'm hoping it'll be, it'll be on the, in the lobby of the open source stage. So it'll be quite a ways away from, the where the store is, but but it'll be by one of the stages. So inviting any and all folks who are coming to Bitcoin 2022 to come and sign it. I think it'll be really fun and it'll hopefully be thousands of signatures on there. And we're also going to leave an opportunity. It's there'll be no charge to sign it. But for those people who want to make a voluntary donation, we will have a I think a QR code there. And you'll be able to donate money or Bitcoin to opensats.org, which is obviously going to benefit uh, the uh, BitDevs. So we're, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm looking forward to that, seeing how that works out as an experience. I- I'm excited about it. Well, uh, beyond just, you know, signing the Declaration of Monetary Independence and, you know, broadcasting and giving it its sort of uh, introduction to the, to the world at the conference, is there anything else that you're really excited for down in Miami? We're just 20 days out now. I'm glad you asked. Actually, that is one that I am super stoked about. But there is another one, and I just sort of finalized it, and I've posted it. I'll start posting it in sort of the group chats I'm in and Telegram. So last year, myself and another uh, person who's now with Bitcoin Magazine, Eric, um, helped put on something we called the Soul of Bitcoin, and it was the speaker last year was Robert Breelove. Well, we have just finished the details, and Robert is having a surprise guest that I am certain you guys would love if you come. And we're doing that on Friday night, and it has just been finalized. It's going to be at the Fontaine Blue. So I'll probably be having, I'll be working there as well. Um, be, you know, and being part of that event. But we're also going to have J.P. Sears, who until like two days ago, I'd never seen or I didn't know that was who it was. I think I'd seen him before. He's like the opening comedy act for this thing that's going to happen on Friday at the Soul of Bitcoin event. So I'm very excited about watching a live studio, you know, watch in front of a live audience, uh, an interview that uh, Robert does with his uh special or surprise guest and then actually seeing JP Sears live. Cause he's hilarious. So th- there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. I, I don't, I mean, what, what are you guys excited about? What, what has you uh, most enamored Q and then Chris? I, I am just excited to actually get to meet a lot of these people in person. Yeah. Uh, there were some that I did get to meet last year and it was a, a really interesting experience as a pleb who has no part in Bitcoin, um, but to be able to go there as a member of Bitcoin Magazine and sort of uh, wave that flag very p- proudly. And you know, we are cooking up some really exciting stuff as well for those of you who aren't going to be able 
to attend the conference in person. Uh, you're going to have your own unique experience, but nothing is going to be being there in person. And if you have not bought a ticket, but this conversation is what finally convinced you, use code YTMAG and get 10% off your conference tickets. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of folks that I've only met, obviously, from a, either in Telegram or whatever. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I, I've said it earlier in the episode, but I'm really looking forward to the Impervious browser. It's basically a browser that's built on Bitcoin. They yes. call it they call it many things, you know, Google without Google, Zoom without Zoom, Dropbox without Dropbox. So I hope I'm not disappointed, but I know a couple of the developers there and I'm really excited for it. I'm also looking forward to Seed Signer. Uh, you know, the device, I saw it at the tab conference and it was kind of one of those things that I got to talk to Keith and, and seat center himself. And they were showing me the device. I'm like, this is so cool. And then I was, I went and did other things. And then by the time I came back, they were cleaning up and mm-hmm. I felt awkward asking them to get their stuff out. So I want to buy one from them to support them. And then of course, meeting all the plebs in meat space, you know, you, you can't go wrong doing that. It's my yeah. first time going to the Bitcoin conference. I was at the tab conference, like I said, but I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, it's bigger and better. Even though Q and I are going to be busy as hell uh, until Friday evening, I'm sure we will be at that event because our, our work will be uh, at least- Yeah, by then you'll pretty be able to hopefully enjoy yourself a little bit because all you got ne- left is the sound uh, sound fest, sound money yeah, fest. Exactly. Q and I will be wrapping up the, the stream and then doing that. Go ahead, Not Q. for you, Q. It's going to be so hard to sound money fest, especially because I'm no longer going to Coachella. Like I'm going to jam pack three days of Coachella partying in a 12-hour window on Saturday, April Sweet. 9th. That's sweet. My, my flight's not out till late Sunday evening, so I'll be doing the same thing on Saturday. Well, and, and the other thing that I actually would like to let folks know about, I mean, contributors, I'm hoping to, to actually meet some of the contributors. So as you know, my role is sort of contributor liaison. I'm always looking for people that want to write for Bitcoin Magazine, You know, whether it's in mining, it doesn't matter what it's about, opinions. But we have never met as a group that I know of in any organized fashion until hopefully Miami. We haven't picked the day yet. But, and I'll even invite, obviously, you guys, because I think it'd be really fun. You can meet some of the contributors if you want. But that, that I think, is for the same reasons you guys just mentioned. I'm hoping I can meet a bunch of the uh, folks who've been great contributors to Bitcoin Magazine. They've been producing some content lately. And you guys, too, by the way. I love, you know, your Peter Diamandis one. That was like, that was awesome. He's, he's an amazing one. guy. But yeah. no, so it's, well, it's going to be a, an intense four days. And it, what I can't get over, you know, again, I'm sort of the, you know, the old fart. Uh, I cannot get over. People come like three and four days early, right? And then last year, I was there for last year where they had officially attending 12,000 and then another like 36 or 38,000 people who came to Miami. I'm guessing that same dynamic is going to happen again this year. So there'll be nonstop stuff going on, I'm sure, that whole week, Right. Oh, it's going to be jam-packed. Like, I, I'm the type of person who I require sleep. I don't know how people who don't sleep a lot function. I just don't. I'm jealous of those type of people. Mm-hmm. However, last year at Bitcoin 21, I think I slept a total of like eight hours in the three days that I was there. Oh, my God. So I was, uh, I don't drink coffee. I don't do caffeine, but I was chugging coffee all day, every day. And again, that energy and the atmosphere of it all really brought, uh, wakes you up, but it it really is. It's intense. It was fun. It was a fun intensity. Mark, I want to really quickly, if uh, any of our viewers or any of our listeners 
are out there and they want to contribute to Bitcoin Magazine. Can you maybe explain to them how they can get involved? Absolutely. So, if, if I mean, there's a lot of people who write in this space and, you know, back to our original topic, which is about banking. I think there are more folks your age and younger who understand the banking system better than anybody in my peer group. Um, but for those folks who have either written great content or you think you've got a great idea for an article or a really strong opinion. And it doesn't matter if the opinion's, you know, for or against something, whether it's a wallet or whatever, um, by all means, uh, reach out. Uh, you can actually reach me at mark at btcmedia.org. Uh, by all means, send me an email or uh, find me on Telegram. I think I come up under Satoshi Shadow. Uh, but would love to hear from people. We are constantly, constantly getting new people and writers. And as I said to CK, when I, before I even got involved in Bitcoin Magazine, you guys produce, and I include you guys in the video as well, but the, the magazine at the time was all I had read. You're, they're producing some of the best content, period. It, it's, it is astonishing to me. They're more thoughtful. They go into areas that are basically out of bounds for the mainstream and corporate press. They just can't go there, right? And so you're not going to actually see a balanced anything because they've already essentially taken out 99% of what they can talk about. So it's a completely useless exercise. So we're constantly in search and have talent. We've got writers from Iceland. We've got them from the UK. We've got them from Germany. We've got them from obviously every state in the country, I think, just about. And it's really a cool group because once you get in there and you've published your first article, and Q, if you haven't done one yet, I'm going to keep hounding you because I think we talked about this back in uh, maybe 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 we didn't talk about this in January when we were in uh, in the meeting in Nashville. It might have been Tommy. It was Tommy. I wrote I two articles since that meeting in Nashville. You rock, man. Well, what I was going to say is we also have a group Telegram chat where we can have some really, really interesting conversations. For example, we just did one in the group on how to conference with a purpose, how to work, uh, go into a room full of people and have a really clear idea and understanding of how to approach it in a way that makes you feel more natural and comfortable rather than awkward and out of place. So absolutely. Thank you for that. That. Uh, invitation. We would love to hear from anybody that thinks they have an article they've already written or one that they think they could write. I'm particularly interested in anybody, by the way, that really wants to hammer on how unbelievable Bitcoin mining is for the environment. Everybody usually when they write the article say, well, okay, well, it's not like ideal on the E. Wrong. It is the best freaking invention for our environment ever in the history of the planet, it is going to eventually revolutionize, I think, the way we handle waste and the fiat system. If it's one thing fiat's better at, way better at than Bitcoin, it's waste, right? It knows how to produce waste. We have waste energy. I don't know how many tens of thousands of waste stranded assets we but. Bitcoin starts to solve not only those problems, there's even um, a waste hire facility in North Carolina that I would love to find somebody to write an article about. And Chris, I see you shaking your head. It is phenomenal. Um, they are basically breaking these tires down by heating them up and reducing them to elemental components. And they're selling every single one of those components. 
and they're eliminating an environmental problem. We have the same pile of tires in Colorado. It's about 30 minutes east of Denver. It's still there. It's getting larger. And if I have my druthers between now and the end of the year, we're going to set up one in Colorado and it will be a waste to energy success story that literally I do not know of another or better solution to the problem than, than Bitcoin mining. So we'll see. Well, guys, this has been a really fun OK Boomer segment. You guys have your call to action. Uh, if you want to write, if you have an idea, uh, there are no bad ideas in Bitcoin. Mark is the guy that you guys should be talking to. Uh, I hope this was enjoyable. Thank you all who have been watching from the moment we started. Um, thank you all for sticking around. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Bye.